I see the time. I know we're kind of said this already, but we are going to go long. I apologize. But uh, today we are wrapping up our series on the Beatitudes. We have spent this month looking at some of the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5 in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have a Bible or a phone, you can go to Matthew chapter 5. We'll get to it in a moment. The last two Sundays, I have mentioned that I attended Asbury uh, College, now university, and that there is a revival that is still going on. Uh, how long has it been? Oh, two and a half, three weeks, something like that? It's been going on for a while. Uh, in the chapel at Asbury. And uh, I mentioned that um, there are three chapel services at Asbury, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. you got to go in a huge auditorium for chapel. It's mandatory because faith is very important to the vast majority of people at Asbury. But there are always a few students who aren't quite as faithful as everyone else. And I, unfortunately, was one of those students. There are, um, there are a lot of, you know, thou shalt not rules at Asbury, right? Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. Um, I didn't read it, all right? I did a lot of the thou shalt not stuff, right? Church and Jesus were the last things I was interested in, right? I just wanted to party. And so I would sit in the chapel service, and I would try my hardest just to, to zone out, right? I mentioned last week that, that above the pipe organ, uh, in front of everybody, there are the words holiness unto the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord. And I hated that every time I walked in the chapel. Right? The only holy thing in my life in those days may have been a pair of jeans. I'll let you think about it for a moment. Okay, guys, that's funny. I'm sorry. That's funny. All right. Anyway, my wife is so embarrassed right now. Uh, I sat there in Hughes Auditorium, and I thought, okay, okay, okay. We, we get it, right? Do we really need this permanent reminder in front of us every week, holiness unto the Lord? Now, 20 years later... I get it. See, holiness is what all of this is about. Jesus did not come into the world just to change our outward behavior. Jesus came into the world to change our hearts. But that statement can only profoundly impact our lives if we understand and if we accept that our hearts need to be changed, right? This call to holiness at Asbury forced me to contemplate every chapel service can only be achieved through asking and allowing Jesus to change our hearts. You see, the truth is, church, we all have a heart condition. And I'm not talking about heartburn, right? I'm talking about a life-threatening heart problem. In the 1970s, my paternal grandfather had triple bypass surgery. Those were still pretty new back then. He had a major heart problem, right? He was just living his life, but then he began to feel something just wasn't right. And so he went to a doctor, right? who could diagnose just what the problem was. And the doctor looked at him and told him exactly what he needed to do in order to fix the problem. He then had to decide to actually do that something. But then 
he had to actually turn his complete trust over to the surgeons and the nurses who were about to cut him open and do major surgery. Now, praise God, the surgery worked, and he lived until 1996. But church, that is the same pattern for each of us when it comes to the spiritual state of our hearts. Right? We feel something is wrong, and so we head to the nearest church to see if we can get some answers there. Right? We're told that we, are, we have a serious health problem and exactly what to do about it, and then we leave church, and then we do absolutely nothing about our major heart problem. But here's the interesting part. You may not physically die because of this heart problem, but you will be a dead man walking. You will look alive, but you are as dead as dead can be. You see, church, the opposite of holiness is not decent behavior. The opposite of holiness is death. All the death that we experience in life is because of unholiness. Did you hear me? All the death, all the hurts, all the separation, all the hatred, all the fighting, all of it is the inevitable outcome of living an unholy life. So that's what I want us to look at today. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8. Before we read it, and get into the sermon, I want to say something to all the quote-unquote Jareds out there. If you are someone who really doesn't like to come face-to-face -face with your brokenness, trust me, I get it. But here's all I'll ask of you today. Will you at least just lean in and listen carefully? I want you to understand, today is not about rubbing our noses in the dirt of our lives. I've been where you are. And I know the temptation to just tune the preacher out. And so today I want to simply share with you why you need a new heart and how you can have a new heart. And then you can decide what you want to do about it. Okay, so just listen. Matthew 5 verse 8 says this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Read it again. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. I mentioned how all the pain and brokenness that we experience in life is, is because of a lack of holiness in the world. And even more heartbreaking than that, there is a, a giant lack of holiness inside the church of Jesus Christ. See, we have lost this call to holiness. We have people coming to churches all over uh, today who are desperate to see God, but who will never know that the only way to see God is to be holy. Now, that doesn't mean you can't draw near to God in your brokenness, because if that were true, none of us could be saved. That's not what I'm talking about. You see, there is a difference between seeing someone and talking to them on the phone, right? Some of you know this, and that's why you only talk to certain people on the phone, right? That's all you want to do. But that's not the same as seeing them. And so the question for us is, do we want to see God? Do we, church, want to see God? In a moment, we're going to talk about what that means. But first, I want us to understand the importance of our hearts. 
Jesus talked a lot about the heart. We talked a little bit about it last week. And I can't tell you how many churchgoers think that, that being a Christian simply means that we don't lie, steal, or cuss, right? At least in public, right? We don't lie, steal, or cuss in public because tons of churchgoers have no problem doing any of those things when no one's looking. We mentioned last week uh, that Jesus isn't concerned with our relig religiosity, right? He's concerned with our heart. I want you to see something that Jesus said to the professional Jews of the day, the Pharisees. We've said this before, but the Pharisees were the ones who prided themselves in following every law of Moses and even making up their own laws in order to follow them. And they thought the better they followed the, uh, the laws, the holier they were. And that didn't fly with Jesus. So look at Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to the Pharisees, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish. And then the outside will become clean too. Now, I, uh, I have a character fault. Um, I tend to overshare. And uh, my wife, Liam, looks at me and says, you know what, you don't have to tell people everything. You can keep some things to yourself. But I just like to be open and honest. I, I didn't overshare. And, and so I, I'm going to do that now. So Liam, uh, forgive me. Um, but when I was at Asbury, I lived in an apartment in Lexington, Kentucky, about 20 minutes or so from Wilmore, where the school is. And so I, I, I lived there, and that allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do, right? Uh, because I wasn't at Asbury. No one could see me, and so I, was, I could misbehave all I wanted to. And, and this was just a horrible time in my life, just an absolute horrible time. I won't get into the details, but I only cared about taking away the pain in my life. So I did anything that would take away the pain in my life. And so I was very selfish, and that tends to lead you to live a pretty lonely life. And that's the exact life I was living. I had no friends. I mean, I, I, mean, I had some friends back here in Georgia, but in fact, I had no friends. I promise you, if I went back to Asbury for my 20th re uh, reunion, absolutely no one would remember me. That's really sad. But so was I. I was in a really bad place. And the fact that I was alone made it worse. And so most weekends, I would just spend alone, right? And so I would drive down to the Blockbuster. Parents, you can explain that later. But I would drive down to the Blockbuster, and I would rent three or four movies for the weekend. And then I would, I would stop by the grocery store, and I would buy some Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And then I would go home, and I would order some pizza, right? Now, if that wasn't uh, sad enough, I was so messed up that... Uh, I didn't care what my apartment looked like, all right? I mean, I, 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 could, I could, after I finished the pizza, I could walk it out to the dumpster and throw it away. I could do that. But I didn't. I would just sit it on the counter, right? And then the pizza I ordered on Monday, well, I would just put the pizza box on top of the other pizza box. And then the one I ordered on Thursday, well, it would have been just rude to not put the pizza box with his friends, right? And so I'd put it with, with his friends. And the pizza boxes would just start to pile up and pile up. That would go on for a while. I would tell you how many pizza boxes were, on, were in my apartment, but then you would start looking at me weird. Uh, it, was, it was odd. Now, occasionally, I would have some people over to my apartment, and I knew I would have to, to clean up. 
And so I just shoved everything into a closet, right? And when I say everything, I mean everything, all right? I've already told you some of the stuff that was in my apartment on the kitchen counter. Everything would go in the closet. And so when guests would arrive, the den would look nice, the kitchen would look nice, the one bathroom I had would look nice, but no one was allowed to open the little closet in the den or go into my bedroom. Because if they opened the closet, they would find six or eight Papa John pizza boxes sitting on top of each other. And my bedroom just wasn't good, all right? Let's just say that it wasn't good. But all that mattered to me then was that my apartment looked clean when people were looking at it. Now, when no one was around, I lived in filth. But when people came around, I wanted them to see cleanliness. The last thing I wanted when my parents visited was for them to not only know how messy the apartment truly was, but for them to realize how messed up their son was and to tell me I needed to change my life. And so I hid it, sometimes well, other times not as well as I thought. But to me, the apartment was clean even though there was filth in the closet probably describes a lot of our lives, right? I could look at my apartment when I had guests say, this is clean. But if I was forced to compare my living quarters to Martha Stewart's living quarters, I would probably have to admit that my apartment is nowhere near clean. You see, whom we compare ourselves to is important. If you are comparing yourself to your neighbor who is an alcoholic and beats his wife, then it is probably really easy for you to feel holy. Because compared to that jerk, you're pretty much the Apostle Paul, right? Church, we have to understand that while Jesus cares about what we do, he cares even more about what's in our hearts. He told the Pharisees, the outside looks great, but the inside is rotten. See, for something to be truly clean, it must also be clean on the inside. Otherwise, it is not clean. And if you doubt me, see how you respond when someone gives you a glass and says, it's only a little dirty. Look at what Jesus said a little later in his Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 27, Jesus said, You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust or a man with lust has already committed adultery with her, with him, in his or her heart. Right? It is easy to hear the commandment, you must not commit adultery, and think, well, I've never slept with another woman, and so I'm good. I've never slept with another man, so I'm good. I mean, sure, I check out every woman I see, but I've never actually slept with them. I mean, sure, you haven't slept with that hot guy in your office, oh, but oh boy, have you thought about it. Church, as much as Jesus would love for there to never be any physical affairs, he was not focused on our behavior. Jesus said, Anyone who even looks at a person with lust has already committed adultery. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but as defined by Jesus, how many adulterers do we have in the church today? See, we need to understand this church, even though it makes us uncomfortable. 
See, no one likes to hear they need heart surgery. Even though everyone thinks you're a, you're a health nut, you know that you're eating fried everything every day. And that will only lead to one place. A doctor grabbing you by the shoulders and saying, if you don't change your life, if you don't have this surgery, you are going to die. But again, the only difference here is in that scenario, you're going to die. In relation to the conversation about the lack of holiness in our lives, if we are not holy, we are already dead. We just don't know it. See, our hearts, church, are who we are. While we can hide our behaviors from people, we can never hide our hearts from God. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God says, The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, every issue in our lives is a heart issue. It's why Jesus said, but the words you speak come from the heart. But uh, that's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Again, your heart is what Jesus is looking at. Because if your heart is pure, your actions will be pure. Why are there broken homes? Impure hearts. Why are there battered spouses? Impure hearts. Why are there abusive parents? Impure hearts. Why are, are some people jerks? Impure hearts. Why are kids bullied? Impure hearts. Why are there addictions? Impure hearts. Why do you struggle with selfishness? Impure heart. All those things in your life that steal your joy come from impure hearts. I love political news. During this fast, I, I fasted from the news. And I can honestly say that my life was a whole lot better uh, for the last 21 days. Uh, but I do love paying attention to what our elected do-nothings, I mean congresspeople, are doing. Um, but I don't just listen, right? That, that'd be one thing. I don't listen. I, I, I have opinions, right? I, I have a lot of, of opinions about what I think is wrong in Washington and our country. And I enjoy sharing those opinions because I'm always right. Um, and so it's easy, even for a preacher to scream and yell about what Washington should do about the problems in our country, right? If only they would, and you can fill in the blank, if only they would do this, then we wouldn't have this problem, right? Washington should just fix all the problems. Church, Washington cannot fix what ails us. No elected official, neither Republican or Democrat, can fix what ails us, and yet we continue to expect our government to do something it was never meant or created to do, right? You will never get me to jump out of a plane. Why? Because I wasn't made to jump out of a plane. You know how I know this? I know this because I don't have wings or feathers, right? I'm not jumping out of a plane. I wasn't born to do that. It's not something I am meant to do. Washington cannot be something it's not. Washington is not Jesus. I don't care how much you love your favorite politician, she or he ain't Christ. The remedy for what ails us is Jesus and Jesus alone. When we allow our hearts to be purified, to be made holy, we will be blessed and in turn our society, our culture 
will be blessed. Not just any blessing. Not just any blessing. Look back at what Jesus said. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart will see God. What does that mean? What does it mean to see God? Let's be honest. Do any of you know anyone who has ever physically seen God? I'm guessing not. And if they say they had, you might want to try to find new friends, all right? Because uh, we can't see God. We can't. I was saying this to my kids last night. We were having our devotions. It's not my sermon, so this is going to make us go even longer. But we were having our devotions last night, and we were talking. And I think Alana, our seven-year-old, uh, asked, why can't we see God? And I, uh, Liam and I explained to her, because we physically couldn't handle it. He's too holy. We would die in his presence. So that when we go to heaven, we'll get to see him. Right? But here, we can't physically see God. Okay? And so, uh, what does it mean when, when Jesus says, they will see God? First of all, it means that we have been allowed into his presence. See, it's very difficult to truly see someone if we are in our house and they are in some office someplace, right? It's much easier to see someone when you're in the same place, right? I mean, sure, you can look at a picture of a person. You might even be able to, to see the person inside their office while you stand at your window in your house staring at the person in the office. You need to stop it because it's crazy, uh, creepy. But you can do it, right? You can see that person. But it's different when you're in the very presence of that person. When you are standing in front of someone, you get to truly see them. And when we are ushered into the presence of God, we get to see his glory. When we are in the presence of God, we are awestruck by his glory and his holiness. After God confronted Job in the book of Job, Job, Job declared, I, I, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. You see, as glorious as it is to stand in the presence of God, it can also be extremely uncomfortable. That's why some people, a lot of people, refuse to come to church. Right? They don't want to confront the problems in their lives. They don't want to admit that, like everybody else, they have sin in their lives. Again, we, we compare ourselves to, to other people. Right? We compare ourselves to our neighbor. But when we see and understand the holiness of God, and we compare ourselves to him, then we realize just how depraved we really are. Now maybe some folks will tell me, Pastor Jared, if you want to grow a big church, you might want to avoid telling people that they're depraved. Okay, maybe they're right. But if I'm going to preach about the need every person has for Jesus... I got to preach about why they need Jesus, right? You don't need Jesus because you're a good person. You don't need Jesus because we obey uh, the laws of the land. We don't need Jesus because we've never murdered anyone. We need Jesus because we are dead in our sins. Without Jesus, we are dead and depraved. You must hear this and understand it. I know some of you want to push back on it because you want to believe that we're all just good people. No, we 
are depraved if we, uh, uh, if we compare ourselves to our Heavenly Father. And so when we're standing before pure holiness, when we're standing before the glory of God, we are forced to see the lack of holiness in our own lives. Man, that could be uncomfortable. It can make us feel that there's just no hope for us. Right? We can stand in front of God and we can see his glory and his holiness and we can think, well, if that's what holiness and purity looks like, then there is absolutely no help for me. There is no way I can live like that. There is no way that I can be that holy. There's no way. Here's the cool part, church. When we're in the very presence of our Heavenly Father, he is pouring out grace upon grace grace on us. When David wrote in Psalm 27, hear me as I pray, O Lord, be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject uh, your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. Oh, God of my salvation. When David wrote that, he was talking about grace. He was asking God to be gracious to him. You see, we are meant to feel uncomfortable when we understand the holiness of God. We're meant to feel uncomfortable. What we are not meant to feel is ho uh, hopelessness. See, there is no hopelessness in God. Think back to why Jesus came to earth in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that verse, but do you know verse 17? Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn you in your impurity. Jesus came to set you free from your impurity. The Holy Spirit showed up today not to make you feel guilty about the sin in your life, but to set you free from the sin in your life. That's the only way we can have a pure heart. Listen to something else David wrote. He said, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in, in, in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. You see, David understood that the only way to have a pure heart is to have a heart that is holy Jesus's. Going back to something I mentioned earlier, we cannot be faithful followers of Jesus if we are double-minded or deceitful in any way. It's not what people think you're doing or not doing that is the most important thing. The most important thing is what Jesus knows you're doing. But again, for many of us, we're great, great Christians on the outside. But in those honest moments, we have to admit our hearts are sick. We have to admit that we have not sought holiness above all things. Now, that doesn't mean make you a worse human than the human next to you. It just makes you human. As the Apostle Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I want you to hear the next part. Church, hear this part. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified 
freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Yes, we are broken. Yes, we are fallen. Yes, we are sinful. We are all of those things and more. But Jesus, Jesus is wholeness. Jesus is restoration. Jesus is forgiveness. Jesus allowed himself to be tortured and killed, to have his blood poured out, his body broken, to cleanse us. It is only through the merits of the atoning blood of Jesus that you and I can be made holy. His whole mission was to die for sin so that we might live for God. We can only be made holy if first we see and admit our unholiness. Now hear me, I'm not bringing you down this road to depress you or upset you. I'm not, I'm not bringing you down this road to make you feel bad. I'm bringing you down this road to introduce you to the power and the love and the hope and the forgiveness that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so church, you have to ask yourself, do I want to be made pure? Do I want a clean heart today? Do I want to be holy? Jesus' own brother James tells us how to do it. In James 4.8, he wrote, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. There's a lot in that verse, but for today, I want you to underline or circle or highlight that first sentence. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Come near to God. Some of you are hurting today because you know you are so far away from him. Some of you can name those things in your life today that go against God's will for your life. Maybe you're beginning to see how the issues that you have been so frustrated about are actually rooted in your own unholiness. And maybe as you start to think about it, all you really want to do is just run out that door because you don't want to deal with it. You're afraid of confronting your own brokenness. You're afraid of the pain you may have to deal with. I get, Or you're afraid that people might look at you if you come forward to pray. Oh, well, he's got a broken life. Listen to me, folks. I get it. My life was broken for most of my life. We need to understand. We need to be able to name that brokenness. The pursuit of holiness, living with a pure heart, is the greatest way to live. Why? Because it is who we were created to be. But as long as we run from the longer we'll suffer. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn you in your sins. Jesus came into the world to rescue you from your sin. Church, do you have a pure heart? Do you have a pure heart? Do you want to live a life of holiness? Because of Jesus, it's possible for you today. In a moment, we're going to share in communion. And how we're going to do this is uh, uh, you'll come forward, you'll, you'll take a piece of bread, you'll dip it in the cup, 
and then you'll eat it. Everyone is invited to the Lord's table. Those who repent of their sins are invited to uh, the Lord's table for communion. But the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered in, in small room with his, his uh, disciples for one last Passover meal. And he, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Take and drink. He didn't do that simply so that they could have a nice meal together. He didn't do that because that was their favorite meal. He did it because he wanted to understand that what is about to happen, my beating, me being tortured, me being nailed to a cross, being stabbed, being mocked, being laughed at, all of that, all that's about to happen is so that you disciples and you gathering church can be made holy. But unfortunately, so many Christians don't want to go anywhere near the cross. They don't want to stand far, far away and squint and go, yeah, I can see it, I'm good. Yeah, I can see what you do, I'm good. Followers of Jesus, we are meant to be at the foot of the cross. We're meant to be on the cross. We took our place. We're meant to be at the foot of the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Because of what you're doing right now, I want, I want to receive that holy life. I don't want to keep watching the shows I've been watching. I don't want to keep listening to the music I've been listening to. I want to. I don't want to keep sleeping around. I, want, I, I don't want to keep having affairs or stealing or lying or any of that. Lord, I want a holy life. Because, Lord, I know if I don't chase after that holy life, then what you're doing on the cross right now is absolutely meaningless. Unless we're at the foot of the cross receiving what he's doing on the cross, we might as well be like the others who are spitting on him. Church, you're called to be holy. So in a moment, we're going to share a communion. We're going to take the, the bread, the body of Christ, and we're going to dip it in the cup, the blood of Christ. And if there is something in your life the Holy Spirit has told you, has shown you, that, that thing in your life that is not pure, the thing in your life that's keeping your heart from, from being holy, that's keeping you from living a holy life, I want you to confess it today. I want you to kneel on these pillows. I want you to stand down front, and I want you to look up at the cross and say, Lord, I want to be holy. I want to be holy. I don't even know what that means quite right now, but I, I want it. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, show me what is unholy in my life. Are you willing to pray that prayer today? Show me the unholiness in my life. Church, you know, heart problem is deadly serious. It's up to you what to do with it.
to holiness in our lives. Lord, it's not easy. You know how difficult it is for us to do it. But Lord, you call us still there. So Lord, as we now share in communion, as we come to your table and feast with you, Lord, as we end this fast, we're going to feast with you, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that this communion would be something special. This communion would not be something that we just do. But right now, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would just shake this building. Your Holy Spirit would slay us. That your Holy Spirit would just convict us of our sins. Convict us right now, Holy Spirit, of those things in our lives that are not holy. And then give us the courage and the humility to fall on our knees before the cross of Christ and say, I repent of my sins. I want to be saved. I want to be made holy. And then move, Holy Spirit. Give us the assurance of the Lord's forgiveness. Pray this all right.